Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Today. <laughs> Hello, Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Brown Baby Podcast. I am your host, Nick Shukla, and in the words of music producer Timberland, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without more dope episodes to step to. But I'm back! I am back. With Season 2, I'm really excited to be back. This is a podcast about parenting. It asks the question each week, how do we raise our kids to be joyful in bleak times that make us feel so sad and angry? And each week I will invite a parent on to chat to me about their parenting journeys, how they're navigating these tricky times with their kids, how to have big, important conversations and how to still have fun and enjoy the world. And also we'll be talking about their work as well. This is a hopeful podcast about parenting. It's inspired by my memoir, Brown Baby, a memoir of race, family and home, which has been out since February this year. I hope you have a copy. If you don't have a copy, why don't you have a copy? Please get a copy. I could do with you buying a copy. Please buy a copy. Should I keep going on about you buying a copy? Yeah, maybe I should. Oh, that's enough of the hard sell. Can you tell I have been waiting to record this intro for a long time? So, yes, I am an author and a screenwriter and... Yes, this season should have dropped back in June, but hey, I am a man with some particular mental health issues and a crushing workload, and I just crumbled under the pressure of doing it all. I've recorded 12 interviews so far, and I just couldn't edit them. I couldn't do this intro, but I'm back now, and I'm doing it. I'm just doing it, okay? I have some amazing upcoming episodes for you, including Safraz Mansour, Ben Bailey-Smith, Andy Oliver, Sarah Collins, and so many more cool, cool people for season two. I'm really excited to get these episodes out. But before I introduce this week's guests, all I'm just going to do is ask you to please buy my book and their book and support the podcast through the supporter function on Acast or buy the books through the bookshop.org affiliate link that's in the bio or just tell the friends shout about us on the internet rate us five stars this week i bring you shobna galati actress writer brilliant brilliant person she is best known for dinner ladies for coronation street loose women celebrity master chef many more things she also wrote a memoir that came out this year called remember me which is a beautiful and sad book about losing a parent to dementia based on her experiences of caring for her mother who died in 2019 
she talks to me about having coronavirus uh, last year we talk about her son finding his way in the world about the act of remembering and writing memoir we talk about telling our kids stories and what football team her son is allowed to support it's a soulful it's a soul felt soul. this is how long i've not been doing this it's a soulful chat that we recorded over zoom earlier this year i'm really excited for you to hear it It was the first one i recorded for season two and i'm really glad to, for it to finally be out i'm so sorry shobna for the delay so without further ado please welcome to the brown baby podcast shobna golati welcome to the brown baby podcast shobna how are you doing hi feeling very brown <laughs> <laughs> How has your pandemic life been going for you? Pandemic life's been quite boring, actually, and um, very um, isolating because uh, my um, son lives somewhere else and um, it's quite hard to parent with um, FaceTime and Zoom. Not not that he needs much parenting now because he's um, 26. (laughs) But, you know, they still require you. That, you know at points in their life um, so it's been quite difficult to do also I think we've been in sort of various stages of lockdown haven't we where um, you know the first lockdown was really really hard because nobody could work the second lockdown wasn't too bad because I could start working again and the third lockdown well it's um, dreadful isn't it for because you know the infection rates are very very high and and now my anxiety over that and my son has increased how about you how's it been going for you yeah pretty similar i think i'm not enjoying being in a completely different city to my whole family um i live i don't live in london anymore which sort of not knowing when i can see see my my very elderly grandmother again is kind of sad because she's just one of those people who won't doesn't do well on the phone you kind of have to be in the room with her mm. um not knowing when my I'm gonna see my dad again is kind of sad I'm kind of the opposite end to you I've got really young kids and so we're just stuck with them and uh to have, to put this politely and uh in a potentially non-prosecutable way I'm surprised none of us have murdered each other yet (laughs) it's all just very it's all very close quarters I wanted to sort of talk to you about you know what it's like having a kid who's like in their mid-20s and and how how that kind of looks because obviously like you know I I keep thinking about what what is going to be like being a parent when my kids are much older and sometimes that feels like a long way away and then other times you look at how quickly just time falls through your fingers like sand and you go well why are you why are you waiting for their life you know why are you wishing interestingly enough both of us in you know in part of these lockdowns have both written books yeah about our families about loss grief parents generations you know thoughts about ourselves and how we fit in the world thoughts about how our children fit in the world so it's kind of it's been a very reflective time for both of us I think and yeah, um, I, I was I was thinking about your book quite a lot because I've I read it I read it I couldn't put it down actually I read it over um from um from Friday through to this morning actually and um I thought about it a lot because you have a you know young children and and you um have a you know each of your chapters describes a how-to and you know 
I wish I kind of had your book when I was um, I was um, giving birth to my son. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a single parent and uh, uh, I had to manage all of the things that you talk about um, um, in, a, in, a, in an era where being a single parent and being brown um, and from, from, from my particular heritage was quite complicated. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a great resource, your book. And it also, you know, it kind of really chimed in with me, with my own experiences. And I think, you know, you having read mine, you can see, you know, there's similarities between our books. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and indeed the way we write. Yeah, I, yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I, I do want to dig into Remember Me in a second, but like, yeah the thing with with brown baby was and and with getting parenting advice the thing is the thing that people don't tell you is you're going to be inundated with advice from people about what specifically worked for their kids when it worked for them in whatever socioeconomic status they had at the time and you know i i don't find any answers in that book spoiler alert but just having the conversation or just acknowledging that it is an important conversation i thought i felt it was quite empowering to sort of think well, you know, I'm thinking about race, I, and I and I I start to wonder: Are white people thinking about race? Or, you know, as a dad of daughters, I'm thinking about what space I occupy in relation to those daughters and how I raise them to kind of not not perpetuate harmful male stereotypes and and all the rest of it. And and just having that conversation, I think, is enough. But one of the things I wanted to say about Remember Me is I think the best writers are the writers who are able to complain, complain, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, <laughs> because <laughs> I am a writer with complaints, uh, the, the best writers, <laughs> <laughs> the best writers are the ones who can communicate really complex ideas and emotions in a really accessible way, I, you know, I'm almost, I'm never interested in writers who write in, in a very, inaccessible and complicated and highfalutin way I'm, I'm much more interested in writers offering writing as a conduit to communication and, and I think there's so much in your book that's about heritage and what we carry forward and what is potentially lost by not having these conversations I just I'm not going to lie I had to read your book in three uh, different sessions and take breaks out to um read a read a collection of short stories because I just it was just bringing up a lot for me like you know I, I obviously didn't go through anything as similar to what you, what you and your mum went through we kind of almost had very opposite things where you know you had this sort of very long process with your mum and reckoning with who you both were whereas with my mum she was sort of taken taken away very very quickly very suddenly and I then had to deal with what was then lost by the fact that she wasn't there anymore why why did you want to write a memoir like mm. what, what was it about this this process that made you think I, I i can sort of communicate this to to the world there's been so much written about me as a person as a as a celebrity or as an actor or there's been so much interest in my life like that and i've also always been seen through the lens of those journalists and the lens of the of the um of the public watching me back and then on top of that before that there was always 
the lens of people outside I, I talk about in the book how you know we were sort of in our house doing our life and then when we stepped out of the house I suddenly was seen differently and uh, you know that's always been something that I've struggled with um, and tried to come to terms with and to try and find my identity within that. And I, I think identity and heritage and all of those words became increasingly important because nobody could quite, you know, write about that um, in terms of how people were seeing me. And when I did interviews for, um, you know, national newspapers or when they hacked my phone or when, you know, um, or things happened, I felt very without control of who I was. Mm. Uh, so I felt that it was really important. I remember when I first started being on Coronation Street and then, you know, people would ask me about Coronation Street and I'd say, oh, it was my mum's favorite program. And um, they, uh, you know, and, and then they kind of skewed it. Like my mum couldn't speak English mm. and she learnt English from Coronation Street when in fact, Actually, what she was learning from Coronation Street was the idioms and, you know, that northern way of being, because my dad had said to her, this is where we've come. We've come to the north. And, uh, you know, these are how northern people are. So she was learning that because obviously, well, obviously to you and me, but not to other people. She spoke the Queen's English. I mean, my mum was born in Britain. You know, it's kind of, it was really hard. And it was really hard then to read those articles back. And, and, and even if you had some kind of control over what was in, in the article, it would still be a view where you couldn't actually get out of how the journalists saw you. You could change the odd word, but you couldn't get out of it. And I just thought, you know, the, 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 you know one of my favourite phrases is, oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. You know, that's been, I've carried that with me all my life. And I just felt that it was time to write this, you know, write it in, in, in its clearest terms, you know, even within my sibling group, you know, say, you know, how I, I've been feeling for, I don't know, however many years, <laughs> however many years I can, you know, from my first memory, I think, which was about when I was about three. So, yeah, that's quite a lot of years. That's over 50 years. You know, of wanting to speak what my experience has been like. That's that's why I wrote the book. I know it's a very very long explanation, no, but no. Um, and, and, and to share that and to share the fact that dementia can affect many many people, and to bring the universality of what it is like to be a carer to the table. So there, there are three things that come up for me in, in sort of speaking about the book in you know and forgive me this is just the, my my way of seeing well but in the, the kind of politically the three things that I find Rick kind of interesting is like one how um, an immigrant's ex uh, ability to speak English becomes weaponized the other thing is um, it's a stark reminder reading your book how little 
in our in our community in the South Asian broadly the South Asian community um you know and obviously we can drill down into specific communities within that but broadly in the South Asian community how little we talk about things like mental health and things like dementia and the third thing is being a you know being a carer is sort of something that a lot of South Asian families do and yet it's something that I think we need to kind of make more of because you know just because it's sort of within like the responsibility sphere of of how we're brought up to be it actually for me broadly has like quite a big impact on on our lives when I think about the things that you know my because my sister's in London and spends a lot of time with my dad or you know my, my cousins who live with my 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 grandmother like it's a huge part of their lives and yeah, it's um, it's a and it's a huge part of their lives that affects like how they take holidays, when they take holidays, whether they can go on holidays together, and all all the rest of it. And uh, I don't know, I'm just sort of like this very simplistic term of talking just about holidays, but like these things do impact how we look at ourselves, and and all of that is in the book. And and I and I and I just and I just really love that it's a conversation that is starting to happen because you know whenever whenever in the past I, you know I've, I've even mentioned the word dementia when it comes to certain people in our family it's sort of very treated as like oh no 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 so, you know it's nothing like that you know it's and so I just I think it's an incredibly brave thing that you've done it hasn't it hasn't um for some people that's been very very difficult me actually saying saying it and I knew it was difficult for mum because I am you know within language terms you know demented dementia you know comes from the latin my mom used to say constantly i'm not mad i'm not mad if the word was ever spoken out loud um and no she wasn't mad absolutely not and and i would say well no no mum you're not mad it's a condition it's a disease and we'd have those we'd have those conversations but they weren't easy and I think in the in the wider uh, South Asian community, as you said, we can draw down from that. So, you know, wherever Punjabi, Sri Lankan, wherever we're going with that, it's it's a it's um, it's complicated. Um, a lot of my friends who have found themselves in caring roles have. Have chimed with it and then some. Have not have really not wanted to talk about it. Mm. Uh, you know, even of my generation, and uh, you know, and you know, they just—it's kind of—it's still like a dirty secret. But it's it's also treated like well, it's just what you do, and I think when it's treated as just what you do, you kind of don't necessarily take on the impact that it will be having on on you and um, and on the person who kind of needs you around as well. It, it's true, and I think in terms of patriarchy. It falls on the shoulders a lot of 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 women um, within our within our, our, our um, communities and wider communities. It does it does tend to do that. Um, um, it, it, it is, and and then as you said, it's um, now people then see that you know it's just what women do. Mm. It's not just what we do. It then becomes just what women do. And there's a, it's quite, it's quite that, that in itself, that in itself, I wanted to sort of look at as well and see how that fitted into, you know, the story of how 
I grew up as a woman, mm. you know, as, as, as I grew up as a, a female. Well, I don't mean, I mean, I'm not even, I you know, tackle it only slightly, my feelings towards all of those kind of binary terms, but I haven't gone into it completely in the book. I remember my editor saying to me, what is Shobna actually saying here? <laughs> and I said, look, I can't, I can't go there now. I've got to do this bit, but maybe I'll come back and talk about my feelings about female and male later on in my life. But uh, I just, yeah, I, I, I felt that it, it became, it became a discussion around that as well. Who has the care? Why do they have the care? Why, what happened in my life? Why did that impact on the family so much that it was then expected of me to return favors? Now, um, it wasn't a favor I was doing, returning the favor, looking after my mom. It was something that happened, but it was how it was seen from the outside. But, uh, um, you know, that I wanted to look at as well. I, I, you know, I really just, as I said, right at the beginning, I just wanted to just, I don't know, open up in a way that I haven't done before and uh, sort of examine, you know, my thoughts and feelings, you know, in my grief. Um, and it helped, it helped deal with some of the grief I was feeling, you know, when you lose both your parents, um, that idea of who you are, how you are, where you came from, home, all of those things, they just, it all just, you know, the ground beneath you just opens up and you can't, you can't, there's nothing to put your feet on. So I, I thought that, I had to look at that. And as, 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 as the ground was opening below my mother's feet and she couldn't put her feet down anymore, I needed to look at what builds us into the people that we are and how we become um, and where we go. And uh, yeah, that's, um, that's why. That's why, again, I feel that it was really important to discuss mental health because You know, without the health, you know, the ground does open up. Yeah. One of the things that go, goes throughout the book that forms quite a, a, a really brilliant spine throughout the book is the sort of the idea of having an intergenerational conversation as a way of kind of capturing memory about kind of drawing parallels between your life and your mum's life or drawing sort of divergent paths between your life and your your, your mum's life and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how those conversations went because obviously you kind of had this you know you, you had this thing of dementia that was kind of like uh, a driver for you to sort of have these conversations because you almost don't want certain stories to be lost or you want to kind of find out certain things and, and I wondered you know, because obviously it's it's quite a hard thing to do in the moment to kind of broach these conversations with a parent who's going through so much. But so how did how did you go about doing it? Can, and can you just talk about how that kind of ends up on the page and how you ended up writing about it? I I think as an actor, um, one of the things that we learn is to listen. 
and to just be in the moment that you're in the moment. Now, I didn't think that that was actually what was happening at the time when I was in the room with my mum. It just, it just felt like something I, I knew how to do. And I think reminding my mother all the time about the things that she was forgetting wasn't helpful. It became unhelpful. So I thought then to concentrate on what she does remember. So I'd go on the journey with her. I'd literally go on the journey with her. And part of that journey was writing it down. And I'd just tap into my phone and she'd say, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm writing down what you're saying because it's so interesting. And uh, she'd say, why, why? I said, some of these people you're talking about have got such interesting names. <laughs> I'd never heard them before, you know. <laughs> I just never heard of uh, people being, you know, she went to a Catholic school and so there was some great Catholic, Bombay Catholic names. And I just thought, wow, I just... Those are so interesting. They could be great characters in a story. And I didn't really realise I was ever going to write a memoir. I just thought, well, I'll just write these character names down because they're so interesting. Maybe next time I play another Anita or Sunita, I can bring <laughs> Blossom Sanchez into the room. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I just thought, you know, it was that kind of thing. It was just dealing with the grief of losing her in the moment as well. And trying to bring some lightness and to bring some, you know, it was unbearable at points. So I just wanted to just try and share with her the life she was in, in that moment. Mm. <sighs> so in doing that, that, you know, that, that, you know, that just sparked conversation. It's like, um, it's like when you, when you're with, when you're with, uh, when you're doing improvisation games and you do one word story <laughs> to spark something, you know, something. So we'd take a spark and we'd run with it. And uh, she, you know, she'd go off on, on, a, on a journey somewhere and I go, oh, that's, that's, so what happened? What happened? And then she'd say what happened. And then, and then suddenly she'd go somewhere else and say, oh, you know, I'd forgotten to do this thing over here and I'm just losing, oh, I'm just getting senile. I'm just, no, oh, I don't know why I forget. And then suddenly she'd be back again somewhere else. And it, it's just that spontaneity. I'm quite used to that. Right. That's something that I'm very, very used to. I mean, even bringing up my son when he was little, it was just me and him at points. And um, the other day I was with him because um, I've been, I have been working in lockdown. So I have been able to see him now and again. Um, I saw him and uh, I said, do you remember the uh, stories that I used to tell you? You know, I'd make up these stories about, um, a, you know, a smarty. <laughs> because smarties were all sorts of different colors. So, and there were no storybooks for him necessarily, except if I went to Deptford and got them from a Deptford bookshop, but they still didn't describe him. So I'd, um, I'd make up this story about a bright blue smarty. So it was, um, well, I know that we're not supposed to say the name of my son, but it rhymes. 
you know, Gulati rhymes with smarty. <laughs> so I just thought, okay, here we go. And I just made up these stories about what would happen if the smarty got eaten, you know, was, you know, the jeopardy of the smarty getting eaten or trodden on or smashed right at the end. Where was the smarty? So we'd go on this journey and, you know, obviously it would end at a crux and I'd say, can't have the rest of it until tomorrow night. <laughs> You know, go to go to bed, go to sleep. Yeah, uh, you know, it'll come quicker if you, you know, uh, the rest of the story will come quicker later. So you know, it was a sort of similar thing that I was doing with my mum. And yeah. then some of the gems that she came out with, I just literally wrote them down. I didn't know what I was going to do with them at any point ever, except perhaps you know, increase my knowledge of characters or people. That's it. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's how it happened. And then as I collected my notes, I just thought, oh my goodness, look, I've got, I've got my mom from when she was little all the way through to when she died. I remember when my, when my mum's mum, who, who died not long after my mum died, but I remember my mum saying to me, you should spend some time with her and just ask her to tell you stories. And um, because once she's gone, you'll, you'll, really, you, you'll really miss out on not having heard these stories firsthand from her. And so I'd sit with her, have my, you know, my voice memos on my phone on or, you know, addicted phone, trying to talk to her. And because I wasn't able to kind of allow her to deviate from the narrative you know from that you know that journalistic interviewing technique where I'd be like no no you've you, you moved up come back let's spend some more time here and you know my 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 bar and my my, my dad certainly they both just have this desire to romanticize everything he's like no one was ever complicated they were they were always brilliant beautiful people and um I would just end up with these sort of really useless half-told stories and then I'd say tell me the story about X like mum said you gave birth on a dow between Bombay and <laughs> Bombay and uh, Mombasa like, tell me about that and she was like just gave birth <laughs> like because she wasn't placing any importance on the story there was no need to kind of retain it as as something to tell and and I think ultimately the thing that I lacked was that I just wasn't able to sort of spontaneously go with her trail of thought. And then this sort of really beautiful thing happened during the first lockdown where um, my mum's best friend, who I kind of have, uh, you know, we, once or twice a year, we'll really get in touch with each other intensively for the course of a week. And then, then you know, the following year it will happen again and so on and so forth. And she got in touch with me about something Oh, she, she got in touch with me, forwarded me this video and said, I know you've got some Twitter followers. I need you to go make this go viral. And I was a bit like, I don't really have that much power, <laughs> auntie. Uh, but then I asked her a couple of questions about my mum. I kind of really got obsessed with the idea of who my mum was before she was my mum, because I just sort of felt it was so unfair of me to remember her as my mum. She was Jayshree, you know, she was Jayshree of Bardiai. And... I wanted to know who she was before before I knew her, who she was when she was a teenager. Like, who were the, what were the boys' names that she was writing in hearts on the inside of her exercise book? And who were the posters on her wall? Was she, did she even have posters on her walls? 
Um, what would like probably be slapped over the wrist if she's writing boys' names in the middle of a yeah. copybook. <laughs> or, like, or yeah, or like wherever, wherever she might have recorded them, or like what was she sneaking around doing, or eating, or smoking, and stuff. Mm. And I ended up with these really beautiful voice memos from my my auntie, from my mum's friend, just sort of telling me all these amazing stories that I'd never heard before, and it was, and it's always like the one detail that they sort of cast off that you're like, hold on a minute. And then I found out that she and my mum, my my auntie, my mum's best friend and my mum had been involved in a campaign by a bunch of young brown and black kids in Bradford to challenge the local newspaper because every time they reported crimes, they always specified the ethnicity of the criminal if they weren't white. And they were like, this is racist. And they were doing this in the 60s. And I was just like, why did I never know that about my mum? And she, and my, my mum's friend was like, it's just what we did. And I was just, and I think one of the things that like, just brought up a lot for me in your book was just your ability to find the poignant in the sort of the seemingly mundane. And obviously like, it's something that we both kind of, do we both sort of talk about shopping lists <laughs> quite yeah, i know it's it's amazing your shopping list is so interesting it's like mom's shopping list you know yeah. weetabix seems to feature yeah. a lot <laughs> yeah it was like and i think that's that's how you remember people you find the you find the splendiferous and the unique and the wonderfulness in the kind of the mundane because like more often than not we're just going about our everyday lives and I think that's the key though isn't it because going about our everyday lives on in any sort of sense of the word as we have been growing here our daily lives are never ever shown uh, you know the everyday the minutiae the detail of what we do as people is never shown because as you said what we do as people is often weaponized so it's kind of the detail of our houses are the detail of what's inside ourselves, the detail of what's inside them, you know, as people. You know, finding about finding out about your mom is finding out about her as a human being before she became your mom. You know, she's a, she's a woman. And what does that mean? What did that mean to her? What did that mean to her as she was growing? What did that mean to her in the context of being here? All of that, all of those things, you see, because nobody, well, it's not that, I don't know whether we've been allowed, it's just never been shown. It's never been shown and, you know, being on television in sort of a day-to-day -day drama like Coronation Street, it's, you know, why couldn't Sunita sometimes just get up and go for a walk? You know, why did she have to have a brain tumour? But that's to do with soap characters, generally speaking. But then why did she arrive having, you know, run away from something that was to do with culture? I remember going into that job and it was, it was actually, they were very, very supportive when I said, wouldn't it be interesting if she ran away from her marriage because... She decided she didn't want to be married as opposed to it being arranged or introduced or what well, if it was introduced and then suddenly she had a change of heart. She had cold feet and then she ran because she didn't know what to do with the cold feet, mm. you know, and then I did play it like that. 
in the end, which gave me a lot of scope for the future there. And as I said, they were very, very supportive. But, you know, the first, when you first open the script and you see it, you go, oh, you know, how can I, how, you know, suddenly it becomes like a responsibility to play against every single stereotype that's written and, and shown. God, so yeah, yeah, I think that doing these writing, writing our lived experience in the detail and the minutiae and the, and the shopping lists and what people would consider, you know, we've, I've read so many books with those things in them by white people, you know, they're allowed I'd to write it, to be it, to feel it. I think that's I just the, want, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I think that's the, the, the thing of the complicated nature of these conversations is um, in order to not be, in order to not be a, seen as a stereotypical character doesn't mean to not acknowledge that there are aspects of our lives that might may be the basis for some stereotypes, but at the same time, writing completely against that is to just sort of make a character white other than face and name only and and actually the, re the the humanity and the reality of our lives is to you know if you're going to have a brown character on in a long-running soap go through something that feels like a cultural stereotype make it part of their character and not because you want to do it as an issue yes and that i think i think so many people miss that you know they either go one way or the other let's make this character very very what we perceive to be an Asian character or let's make them a white character with an Asian name and do diversity but actually the reality is like at the same at the same time as like um worrying about um very culturally specific stuff in my life I'm also thinking like god I've got to learn how to fix my kid's bike or you know whatever white people worry about what what, what you because they, they've got time to worry about these things I've had to worry about so many so much <laughs> but to worry about and that's what you know brown baby you know was so there were points there and I could just see you going what why have to, I have to worry about this now and I have to worry about that now I just it, it, it was so human and that's the thing that's the thing we are humans we are humans we have the same concerns i think the bliss you know i've done it very surreptitiously as an actor you know i've as you say you get the stereotype you sort of try and find the characteristics of that person and you go in there i mean that to my detriment actually because you know when i wrote a book i had a lot of journalists going so you write like, because why? Because I play characters on screen that are, what, unintelligent? Do you believe that? That that is me? You know, I've had both, I've literally had a journalist who's interviewed me quite a lot, who the first few, the first few interviews I had with those guys, so you wrote this in the pandemic? You wrote this at the big, yes. So when did you? When did you decide you were a writer? I didn't decide that I was. I've always written. Have you? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, why not? Why can't I have that? Why can't I have that? You know, I'm not allowed. I mean, is was Sunita and Anita so, you know, 
were they not intelligent enough for you to understand as that I was being a character? I said, I said the other day that to be afforded the opportunity to be who you want to be uh, is one thing that um, I've had to struggle, you know, every single step of the way, you know, I've had to fight for it. Yeah. And then, you know, lots of people see me as like, oh, but, you know, you played this character, you know, in my eyes, it was like this, this, this. But I've always brought who I am to the table, you know, in subtle ways, you know, even if my character's called Vicky, <laughs> you know. The other day, I am actually playing a character called Vicky at the moment. And uh, I just thought, what's her name? What's her name? So she's called Vicky, what's her real name, you know? And then I thought about how she appears on the page. And then I thought about all the girls that I know who are a bit prickly like that, you know, of, of, of a similar background. I thought, oh yeah, yeah, I know who she is now, but she's not on the page written like that. All I know is she's prickly and a bit like a loo brush. <laughs> so that's what I know from her. That's, I can see that, that's how she speaks. But then I have to find somebody who I recognize. And then I have to work there. And then I have to find that lived experience in order to find the reality of why she's called Vicky and, and she's not just plonked there for diversity's sake. So, yeah uh so in in being that you know my words have to represent just as much as my character has to represent and it has to represent um truthfully it has to go deep it has to have levels it can't just be superficial and i you know um and i think as you know people who've read my book have been shocked by it because they think it's not a celebrity book as such. It's, it's uh, not that celebrity books are all bad. Some are very good. Um, it's a piece so of literature. It's a, yes, it is literature. I mean, I was avoiding saying that, but it is, it is. And I had bits of my book in my old computer um, because I was going to write a novel about it all you know, long, long time ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, I'd started writing. And I think that's when I first came across you. And, uh, you know, you sent me a copy of Coconut Unlimited. And I just thought, this is a really interesting book. You know, I've got stuff in, in my old computer. I couldn't find it though, could I? I couldn't remember the password. <laughs> couldn't remember the password so at the beginning of lockdown I even had Covid and I just couldn't remember anything everything was all foggy and then I remembered it and went in there and it's called the novel for now in my old computer and I thought that novel for now has got the characters we it's got characters in it and obviously it had my mum in it and I just thought, well, well, all I've done in there is just used bigger brush strokes 
so let me just look at what's on you know when you do, you've got a brush and you're painting something and there's all the lines in the brush it's not just the one color so that's what i wanted to do i wanted to just look at those lines bit by bit you know the lines on on the computer screen as much as the lines of the brush strokes i'd i'd uh, i'd painted so yeah that that kind of thing it, it excited me you know it excited me i think it's hard i think i think it's been an interesting journey for me because right way right back at the beginning of my career that nobody knows about i was right at the fulcrum of you know, black and brown people's theatre, you know, doing the thing, fighting the fight. You know, we're talking early 80s, you know, fighting the fight, you know, when there were different theatre companies and we were doing things all together. And we were exploring stuff that, you know, some of the younger generation today think they're exploring for the first time because it's not on the internet. It makes me laugh. But then I sound like an old person and now I'm standing like my mum. So, <laughs> so that's fine. I don't mind sounding like my mum. But it's interesting, isn't it, that you say that your mum and your auntie were fighting the fight and you just discovered that. But, you know, there were things happening before the internet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there were things happening, you know. Injustice has always been there. It's not like we've ignored it. It's just that we've approached it differently, perhaps. And in approaching it differently, we haven't shouted about it as much. I think it's important to shout though. It's just how you do it. And you know, when I watch your podcasts or read your book, you've got so much more language than I have in terms of how to describe what is happening. In, when I was growing, we didn't have words like weaponizing language and we didn't have words like um, microaggressions. We didn't have words like um, unconscious bias. We had it happening, but we didn't have the language to describe what, well, I didn't, certainly didn't have the language and there may have been language out there, but I didn't, couldn't access it or I didn't know. Um, and. I remember writing a letter to the Arts Council about something that was happening for me when I was working in dance. It was about how another classical dance form, ballet, saw my classical dance form and there was a problem. And I remember writing to the Arts Council and saying, it's tenable that I feel this way, but it's untenable what they're doing. So all I had were the words tenable and untenable to describe, you know, unconscious bias and microaggression. You know, I, I, it's very interesting, you know. I mean, I still wrote those letters. I still wrote the letters, I still had the meetings. Whether it was then understood by the, pe the people who got the letters or who were in the meetings, I don't know, but I still thought, and I've done that, I've done that all my life and I will carry on doing it. You know, in the way that each decade has brought me language, I've used it and used it and used it and used it until I just feel 
so empowered by this language now that I can actually say that something, you know, because tenable and untenable are difficult, you know. So I remember the conversation that went, so what did you feel? Did you feel it? And I went, yeah, I felt it. So it was a very tenable feeling. But what she did was untenable. <laughs> Just like, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How, how do you find your relationship with your son now, now that he's in his sort of mid-twenties, he's kind of getting to the point where he's working out who he is as a person and fit fitting you know wearing those clothes um and how how do you feel like your relationship's changed or your kind of the way you view each other i think um i think sometimes when i sit with my girlfriends and we talk about those times when our children were at home doing their homework eating their tea and then doing their homework and then you know maybe talking to them, their friends on MSN and going to bed. I think, you know, we talk about those halcyon days because there is a, there's a point where the, the sort of care, the day-to-day -day care changes. So you're not just, you know, looking after them because they can't do certain things when they're little. You know, you're looking after them in that way you're looking after them differently you know physical their physical looking after needs changes um but i think i've been lucky enough with him always to because it's been me and him or me him and mom to be able to just see him as a person i think i talk about in the book i talk about when he's born 
when I cut the umbilical cord, I go, right, you're on your own, kid. I know it sounds really weird but, and quite heartless, but it wasn't. It was just like, it was my acknowledgement that he was a person in his own right. So in that sense, that's how I've always been. He's a person. Okay, I'm his mom and I can guide him here, here, here. And I can help him and I can change his nappy and I can do all of those things. But actually the things that he wants and needs and feels, those are his own things. So, you know, I've been able to allow them and been able to help him. And, and as he's grown, it's the same thing. The thoughts and needs, wants, desires, feelings, I've tried to facilitate, you know, in, in, in you know, maybe I've spoiled him. Mm -hmm. Depends what, you know. <laughs> round of parenting your woman but I've allowed you know he has his own thoughts there are a few rules there's been no few rules but he's a he's a he's a boy as well and uh it's you know much as your relationship with how to bring up daughters it, it, it's it, it's like I read a book I actually read a book because there wasn't your book I wish there was your book but I read a book called um uh, by Steve Biddulph, bringing up boys or raising boys. Because I thought I have to, you know, I have to understand him because he is different from, he's, he's a person, but he's different. So I had to understand what that difference was. And maybe it was, you know, a little binary of me, but it was, was helpful. And I learned things about him and I learned, I learned why he, you know, physiologically and sociologically does things. So it made me understand. So it kind of, I mean, he'd probably have a completely different view of it. Like, yeah, <laughs> mom, you were really strict. But I just, I think I allowed him and I still allow him. And, you know, sometimes he says to me now, he goes, oh, we disagree about this. You know, it's almost like, do you still love me even if we disagree about this? And I went, well, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> because like, that's your opinion. Have it, you know, your opinion's different from my opinion. I said that the only rule I had was that body parts, male and female body parts, are never taken as swear words you know in like as a terrible thing because we should celebrate those things you know yours and mine you know why do why why are they insults i just say that why are they insults i mean i just don't get why they're insults because what, because they're rude words, you know, we'd, we'd go backwards and forwards. And, you know, consequently, he doesn't, he never has. And uh, he's an actor too. And I often get directors ringing me up going, your child's so different. <laughs> You're so different. He's so, he's so like this. He's just like, he doesn't do what 26-year-old men do. <clears throat> and he has his own, he has his own, um, way as well I mean he's taught me such a lot about how I feel about my own sexuality and how I feel about myself and how I feel my, about myself in you know non-binary terms and he's taught me about 
that he's he's very he's, I just I think I don't know I can't put it all down to my parenting he is that person he came out of my womb making a noise that was like ooh 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 like he'd been in there and like when he came out he was discovering he didn't cry or anything it was just ooh like he was ready I don't know He's just been a person I've just tried to get on with, mm. you know, from when he was little. And sometimes we don't, and we do something that's a bit conflict resolutionary, resolutionary, I can't say it. But yeah, we do a lot of conflict resolution. We do a lot of allowing each other to speak everything. And the other person doesn't say anything. And you take from it what you you want to, you or you you know whatever's in your capacity to take from it, and that's how it's always been. I mean, there's been points where it's been absolutely crazy. He's he's run away. Um, he's not come back, and then he comes back. Or I've wanted to run away. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 been it's been tough because it's just me and him. And then obviously then with the layer of my mum as well and what she brought into the room. Yeah. It's it's not easy. I just what I've always said to him and what I will continue to say and what my mum said, perhaps without I love you, my mum never said I love you. And I never told her either. And it's in the book, but we knew because we knew. Whereas one thing I do say to him, I don't struggle with it. I tell him that I love him. I do love him. Uh, and I, I say to him, you can always come home. Whatever. Whatever happens, you know, I might not approve. But, you know, he, 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 I just have to know that in my heart that I've taught him enough to know what's right and wrong that's it and then I'm just there and if I'm you know if I can be there I'll be there and that's what I say um yeah well I think the revelation was when I said to him once was um you know I am a I am a person you know I'm not just your mom <laughs> you know I that happened when he was a teenager I just kind of just said oh you know I'm a person you know, I'm just not this mum thing. I don't know what you think about what a mum is. And he read my book, actually. And I got this text off him. He goes, why did you write it like that? I haven't been able to put it down. I had to read it from the moment I opened it to the end. Because, and I think that's actually brought us closer too. You know, because it's, I suppose it's in, it's in black and white on, on a piece of paper. He's an interesting character. And as I said, we don't agree on everything, you know. You know, we don't. I sometimes say that he's this, 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 and he'll tell me that I'm this, this, this. But yeah, okay, the, the only thing that I would disown him over is if he didn't support the uh, Manchester United. And I say that quite clearly. I think he sort of dabbled with the thought when he was about seven, and I remember this, of supporting Portsmouth. And I just said, you know, if you support Portsmouth, you can't live here anymore. That was it. 
Oh dear. It's it's the way it is though. It, I mean, it's just the way it is between us. I just think we're just we're quite open. We just just we're very open with each other. And I wanted to do that because I don't know how much shame, the word of shame that you were brought up with, or dishonor or shame, or is that just reserved for women? I don't know. But um, I just wanted to remove all of those things from the vocabulary and just allow things to happen as they did. So my final question is... Sorry, I just went on and on then. But... No, 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 no. No, one's, no one has come to this podcast to listen to me talk. Um, the, so my final question is... Um, given how heavy the world feels one of the things that i am really really mindful of is ensuring that i prepare my daughters for the way the world is but i try to instill in them a sense of joy and boundlessness and like the world is just open for them to be whoever they need to be but sometimes that feels hard i just wondered how you go about doing that with your own child I wrote that down you know, from your book, how we tell our children about civic responsibility and still, still be joyful yes. <laughs> about the world and still be joyful. Um, I think you just have to say it and leave it with them. I think the, the conversation I had recently because of the pandemic was quite a hard one and I saw his face. I said to him, I'm 54, um, I've had COVID, it didn't suit me. Um, I could, you know, have a good 30 years. I could, I could have 30 years with my faculties, but you know, given what's happened, um, and given, you know, my physical health, um, you know, it may not be that. And I saw his face because 30 years now in his head as he approaches 30 himself, he knows how long that is. And I saw his face and I said, you know, I'm not being a doom and gloom person here. I'm just saying this is life, this is life. This is how we've always said, you know. I made him watch um, when he was little. How do you do it? You just have to tell them the hard things, but equally tell them the things that are joyful. I made him watch Bambi when he was little. I know it's like, I know I didn't make him watch it. I had it on in the kitchen, whilst I was in the kitchen, he was in the living room watching. Bambi and he was only little and he came in and he put his hands on his hips and he said mommy why did you make me watch that film it's so sad and I said yeah he is sad he is sad but it's also really 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 joyful and that's what life is life is happy sad you know you can't have one without the other 
And that's how it has to be, you know, I, you know, I know, I know I sound like an IKEA advert at the moment, but you can't have one without the other. And, you know, you, you that's the way it is. You can't, you, you can't be old without having been young. You know, it's all of these things, you know, there's always an opposite and, you know, I don't know, it's up to him whether he actually has any civic responsibility or cares about the planet or all of those things, it's up to him. And he'll see that as he grows. I can't, ins I can't show him what, you know, well, I can show him, but he doesn't necessarily have to follow it. It's up to him. I, he's the person, you know, I just carried him, nurtured him, you know, my mum's gone now, my father's gone now, so they did what they could and they did their best, that's what, that's what, <laughs> that's it, I mean, yeah, I just hope, hopefully, he knows, but, you know, he can always come home, whatever. And hopefully I will build, even after I'm gone, I'll, be, I'll build enough, I'll have built enough legacy for him to be in. And luckily, and thankfully my parents did that, and you're doing that. You know, however they did it, they did it. And I don't mean romanticise it either, it was, you know, it was pretty hard at times. <laughs> it's pretty harsh, pretty harsh upbringing at times, but you know what it's made me who I am and um you know I've still got time to go mm. and you know I'll allow change and that as I said you know that right to the beginning of this there's just try to understand me as best you can and if you don't let's talk about it and if I don't agree with you that's fine that's how it is I know it sounds a bit sort of a bit sort of a bit open and American, well, maybe not American right now, but you know, it's kind of, I don't know, he seems fine. Touch wood. Um, take it from there. Shabnam Gulati, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Shobna for coming on the podcast and to you, the listener, for coming back for season two. If this is your first episode, please check out season one, which features Jay Sean, Himesh Patel, Nadia Hussain, Mira Sayal, many, many more amazing people. It's free, so please do support me and Shobna by buying our books. And please, please, please rate us, like us, subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. And see you next week. I'm back, so I'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, my brown babies. Goodbye, my brown babies. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.